Hey guys, Jawad here with Hit the Apex Podcast. How we doing this week? It's race week, it's pay week, it's all the weeks. I don't know where that's going, but anyway, you get the idea. We've got a race on every week, so of course we're going to be talking about motorsport at the moment. It's perilously close to October, and you know what October is. It's it's Bathurst 1000 times, so, and also the final race of the supercar season to this year, so that's going to have a whole lot of feels with it, I'm sure, and just hype and anticipation, which we'll get to, but, you know, we're, we're still in got you know a week left of september no need to get excited too much yet but you know i I just did i think it's also i'm looking forward to daylight savings as well uh, which comes first weekend of october and we get an extra hour of daylight every day which i think just makes makes me feel really happy and i'm sure other people feel a lot happier as well it was actually like the weather on the weekend was quite warm you know for for melbourne in the middle of september so yeah i think i've mentioned it for the last couple of podcasts global warming <laughs> if this is not you know the evidence of um of global warming kicking in then i don't know what uh, what what is for you guys so yeah anyway hope you guys are well uh getting through another week whether you're working you're at home um whatever's going on in your lives hope everything's well i hope we're all excited for another weekend of formula one racing you know i'm sure there'll be people out there who are like oh it's boring uh, but then still watch it and um jump on and uh, have their say and everything but you know what you can just you can just block out all that noise there's no need to get all worked up and and upset about it i'm sure there's worst things going on in the world at the moment that we can probably put our energy towards and um use our racing and our love for motorsport as a bit of a a positive escape you know nothing like a bit of escapism in these difficult times so yeah russian grand prix hey you know last week i was like oh it's the eighth race of the season we've uh, we're halfway through and only to realize 20 minutes into what i was talking about that it was um it was seven, sorry, no, there we go again, it was nine races through, so more than halfway through the season, uh, it's got to the stage two now where the triple headers, I think, are all behind us, except for when we get to the Arabian races, Bahrain, or golf races, I should say, uh, we've got the Bahrain double header, and then Abu Dhabi, the season finale, just the week after too, so that'll be the next triple header we have to contend with but now i guess we've got russia then we've got some new races obviously with imola we've got portugal we've got the nurburgring coming back as well so some exciting races to to have in between and also just some spacing between them too you know not um having to do this every week you know i'm talking hopefully on behalf of teams and crews and drivers and all that who um and the media people who have to be there on the ground um traveling you know basically yep lights uh, or checkered flag drops pack up and uh head to the next week or to the next venue so no this is really good and i just even as a fan and as a viewer i think it just creates a bit of pace and everything too so well you know we can watch at a better pace i should say anyway 
But yeah, Russian Grand Prix this weekend and I think the first thing I have to say is that it's just a friendly race to people who live on this side of the globe. Uh, no 10 past 11 start here, no, 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 it's um, actually 10 past 9 on Sunday evening so you know, hopefully we'll be all in bed before midnight or j- just after, you know, I think it's going to clash with the MotoGP but that's okay because we want to see Formula 1 and MotoGP I'll talk a bit about later anyway but uh yeah that's the the big positive thing about the Russian Grand Prix I think is just yeah the earlier time for us not much else to really say unfortunately like it hasn't been the most exciting race over the last few years uh you guys will know that um it came into the sport 2014 of course the year that we got the Mercedes dominance underway and basically it's just heading back to the Silver Fortress at the moment. Uh, that Mercedes have been unbeaten at this track since 2014. Um, in the six races that we've had, Lewis Hamilton has won four of them. Then you look at the other winners. It was Nico Rosberg one year and Valtteri Bottas 2017, picking up his first ever career victory for Mercedes. Uh, and he's had four podiums out of the six races that we've had there, two including one for Williams back in 2014. So it is a favourite track for Valtteri. Lewis just does well here naturally, and I guess a couple of years back you guys will know the um, team orders or Valtteri, it's James uh, scenario coming on the team radio and um, Bottas getting robbed, I guess, of the win there. So there'll be a lot of uh, emotion and just memories there but it's still a, a, a favorite circuit for Valtteri and I think the championship you could pretty much say it's out of out of the question at this stage you know mathematically yes we have to still say it's it's still a possibility you know he can do this and that and you know Lewis is he's got to psychologically damage him and all that sort of stuff but uh it's just yeah realistically when you look at it I'm not trying to sound negative about it that's for sure I think it was going to be Lewis's year no matter what when you look at everything else going on outside of Formula 1 at the moment in the greater world. You know, you never ever are you going to get a big disruption or a disruption on this scale as a global pandemic pretty much wiping out the first half of the year for, for many people, many championships, many sports, um, just life in general for people. is It's been difficult. But someone who has shown his perseverance over the last few years, his ability to be mentally strong and steadfast and just all the superlatives in the world that you want to use, you can use to describe Lewis Hamilton at the moment. And, you know, I'm not going to keep waxing lyrical because then you guys will say I'm a Lewis fanboy and everything, which is not the case. I've got a lot of respect for the guy now. Um, It wasn't always the case, but, you know, the last couple of years when you see... Just the way he's performed as well on track, you know, how unflappable he is. He's just in a zen-like state. And then when you look at this year, his involvement with um, Black Lives Matter, trying to get that message of ending racism through to motorsport and for Formula One in particular, championing that sort of stuff and then still going out there and performing at the level he is, you know, absolutely annihilating his teammate. Now, we talked about the Tuscan Grand Prix there at Mugello, how basically, (coughs) sorry, not a COVID cough, (coughs) 
how it was Bottas's race to lose, and basically, yeah, he lost it. <laughs> no, um, no sugarcoating that one. So, yeah, I guess if he can get some wins, and this is Bottas we're talking about, starting off with one of his favourite tracks here in Russia, it's going to do his confidence a whole load of good, but also just remind everyone as well, I think, that, um, I think, well, yeah, first of all, his own confidence needs a bit of a boost, because he seems a pretty down in the dumps at the moment, and just, you know, nothing's going right for him, so it's going to be a big deal for him if he could win this weekend, I'm not saying it's going to happen, I'm not saying... I'm putting my money on it or predicting that it is going to happen, but if it did happen, it's going to be a good thing, I think. So, but when you look at the other side of the spectrum, you've got Hamilton, who's got his first opportunity uh, to opportunity to equal Michael Schumacher's record of 91 career wins in the sport. So. And because of that as well, they've got Netflix there shooting season three of Drive to Survive. This episode, or the Russian Grand Prix episode, will revolve around uh, Hamilton and Mercedes. And I guess, you know, (laughs) we've learnt now the weekend that you've got Netflix there following your um, race, bad things tend to happen, as we saw with Mercedes last year uh, with their anniversary Grand Prix in, in... in Germany, Hockenheim, that was a bad weekend for them. Ferrari did the same thing, I think, at Monza. Um, and they ended up having the double DNF or whatever. So, or I think it might have been for Mugello, who uh, I'm not sure. But it's going to be interesting to see if whether that curse continues. But, yeah, you know, who would have thought going back 2000, what was it, six that Schumacher won his last race, that uh, we would ever see that total of 91 wins eclipsed as soon as we have you know don't don't think so so it will be a significant moment when it happens and for all the reasons I've said before if you've um, listened in and everything and even just just earlier too you know with all the causes that Hamilton is championing at the moment I guess you know it's always going to that criticism will come down where it's like oh he's had the fastest and the best car for the last six years or whatever but the same time it's like well he's had to he's had you know to fight internally in the first part with his teammate or his former teammate in Rosberg and that wouldn't have made things easy especially 2016 but then the next years you know 17 18 uh, he's had Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel on his tail so it's not been the easiest but you know at the moment it looks like you know it is he is doing it quite easy, but um, that's just the ability of the bloke, and yeah, the car comes into it a little bit too, but I think you've got to take your hat off to the driver more so than the car, as is common misperception, and while we're on the subject, I guess, of Hamilton as well, there was an article out saying that he and Mercedes are using the gaps between, or the longer gaps between races that they're having to negotiate that contract, so, you know, people forget that Hamilton's off contract, and um, is his future going to be at Mercedes next year, which I think, yes, you've got to say, they're not going to disrupt a winning partnership and everything like that, and even the future of Mercedes and the sport, Toto Wolf, all that sort of stuff just keeps rearing its head, and it's like, well... They just committed to the Concord Agreement, didn't they, from 2021 onwards for the next five years, and, you know, they actually waited to do that, you know, they were trying to negotiate some 
leverage and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we wouldn't have seen that sort of pushback if they weren't going to hang around in the sport or whatever. Or they wouldn't have even signed their agreement if they didn't plan on being in the sport for beyond the end of this year. So it's looking likely that, yeah, it's going to remain the status quo for next year. You've already got Bottas signed up as well, I guess, Great foil to Hamilton, great backup, and possibly even an insurance policy if Hamilton does decide to leave. But I can totally see him staying on another year. If he, he, he it's not a matter of if; it's when he's going to do the seventh championship. It's going to be this year. I reckon he could do it, do eight next year as well, and um, then possibly look at leaving. But you know, at the same time, they could just do a two-year deal and see him go through to the end of 22 when the um, new regulations come in. He gets to sample the new cars, see how things goes, and then maybe after that, hang it up, you know, or continue on elsewhere. But yeah, I think Hamilton's going to be a Mercedes driver for life. <laughs> and Toto Wolf, what happens to him as well? Um, I think he's going to stay put as well, despite what you hear and everything and his other interests with Aston Martin and the shares that he's got there. Um, and just rumours and stuff about the new sponsor that Mercedes have had this year, Ineos, um, possibly them taking over the team or whatever. Probably not yet. You know, what What do they know <laughs> about running a successful team? So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. But for this time being, this is just what I think anyway. Um, it might change. Things might be different. You might think that um, what I'm saying is absolute drivel. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's Mercedes. That's that's all the Mercedes stuff. Um, good, going to be a good weekend for them, I reckon, too. Unless uh, there's some kind of reliability problems, which I doubt, I highly doubt. Um, given you look at it as well, it's going to be a warmish weekend, top of 28 degrees Celsius on race day. And I didn't know it could get that hot in Russia, but there you go. Um, typically, we're in Russia anyway at this time of the year, or it's usually like October time as well. So. Uh, you know, it's not like it's any different to any other year. Tire deg basically non-existent. You know, we've been saying it every year we've come to this track that it's so boring because you do a one-stop race, you could almost no-stop and still get to the end of the race on the set of tires. And they've brought the softest compounds as well for this weekend. Pirelli, they've gone C3 to C5. Um, and I still think that this, it's going to be a one-stop race. The teams will make... A one-stop race happens so that I think is going to be the boring part but hopefully we can have something that spices it up looking behind the um the two are we going to call them black arrows or are they still the silver arrows well I guess this is the silver fortress like I said <laughs> before um looking behind them though you got to say that Red Bull might have some company for um podium spot uh, especially from the midfield Red Bull haven't been the strongest at this track over the years and last couple of races you look at Verstappen he's had two DNFs in a row Italy not a great place uh, for him at the moment and I'm sure he'll have mixed feelings about going to, Mo to, to Imola later in the year 
maybe have a hat trick of DNF. Say that'll be that'll be unique. You know, we have three uh, races in Italy for the first time in Formula One, and the uh, drivers had a DNF at um, each one of them. You know, that's that's going to be an interesting stat to look forward to. Not if you're a Verstappen fan, you'd probably want to shoot me right now. But nah, again, nah, come at me. <laughs> uh, but Albon, you know, you got to. St- Still feel good about Alex Albon finishing on the podium there at Mugello, and I'm um, sad when you read that he he had a candlelit dinner for one to celebrate um, to celebrate his podium. So <laughs> I guess yeah, sounds a bit sounds a bit sad. I guess, but given the circumstances, it was the only thing that he was able to do. So yeah, you know, Red Bull, you'd, they'd be your first choice for for finishing third or even possibly second. But at the same time, I think. They're going to have some good competition from the midfield, um, especially with what's been going on in the races. Are we going to keep up our trend of some crazy races? You look back, and I said before Bottas finished on the podium here for Mercedes, but you've got Checo as well, Sergio Perez, who was on the podium here for Force India back in 2015, kind of inherited it in a way, or you know, did it did, did Stephen Bradbury and got onto the podium because... Kimi Raikkonen and Valtteri Bottas kind of came to blows towards the end of the race and um, took each other out of podium contention. Otherwise, we could have had a Williams and a Ferrari on the podium there that year. But um, yeah, Perez coming in to finish third. But you look at the strength of Renault at the moment. They've been good over the last couple of races. Uh, McLaren as well, you know, jagging points. So in that kind of midfield battle or the upper midfield battle, for effectively third in the constructors now, which you know you wouldn't have thought um, would have happened, but here we are. McLaren 106 points, sorry, 106 points at the moment, 23 points clear of Renault, and then in between you got Racing Point too. So you know you cannot count those guys out um, on an odd weekend for a podium. The only one who hasn't had one yet, obviously, is Renault. We're going to be cheering Renault, I guess, only for the purposes of. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo getting on the podium and Cyril Abitable getting a tattoo done. So just for that, <laughs> not because we want to... Well, I want to see Ricciardo on the podium and it'd be nice to... Um, even though he kind of didn't have the faith in this Renault project and bailed um, or is bailing at the end of this year for at least one podium to be achieved because you look at uh, the rebrand next year to Alpine or Alpine, sorry, I should say. <laughs> not the Alpine audio systems, but um, Alpine next year, then that would mean Renault, since they came back into the sport as a manufacturer in 2016, have not finished on the podium. So, you know, a pretty dismal run if you're looking at Renault's spell. Like, effectively, the team will still be the same, but for Renault, the manufacturer, to not have a podium next to their name, I think they'll probably look at this little tenure as a bit of a failure because, yeah, you know, you had Lotus Renault, um, and effectively, sorry, yeah, you had Lotus Renault, I was going to say effectively they were the factory team, but they weren't, that was Red Bull back in the day, but still, you know, they had their successes as Lotus, you attribute it to Lotus, and then we're going to attribute whatever success, if they have any success um, as the new team, as Alpine, uh, to Alpine, so yeah, the Renault name in this little four or five year um, stint is probably going to get just forgotten because of where they were and their inability to get up um, more and onto the podium and be more competitive than we thought they will. So 
that's uh, those guys. Racing Point, uh, some more off-track news as well during the week, or I think it might have been last week. You, you, everything kind of melds into one another these days, but um, they've been flexing their muscles a little bit. They're hiring some some new people, and they've gone out and hired a, um, a new commercial managing director. I don't know if they had one before, but you know they've created a position for one Jefferson Slack, which is a, um, a very dashing name, you know, very, very proper, um, uh, who used to be actually Michael Jordan's marketing chief and also CEO of Inter Milan. I think they're a soccer team, correct me if I'm wrong, whatever I know not much about to the the world game, as they call it, the round ball, uh, football, soccer, whatever. Um, so interesting name for them to pick up, obviously, as Aston Martin next year, you know, they're going to get a lot more exposure, I think. You know, they've gone out and hired Sebastian Vettel as well, which a four-time world champion representing a well-known brand and now having a bit of marketing nous and prowess, prowess sorry, um, in the team's not going to hurt them at all too. So that's going to be a good little signing and to see what they do. I'm sure there's going to be countless James Bond references and tie-ups it's it's almost a shame that you know the uh the tie-up didn't happen this year with with Racing Point or sorry Racing Point didn't become Aston Martin this year for example because you've got the new Bond movie coming out um I think it's November now that it's been delayed to obviously it was supposed to come out earlier in the year and then yeah COVID pretty much closed down everything including cinemas I'm kind of jealous that, you know, people in other states and stuff can go to cinemas now. Not that, you know, I'd go to a packed cinema at the moment, but it's just that experience of seeing a new movie. I think Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan movie, I'm sure people have uh, seen and and really liked um, Dino, actually, yeah, from Region e-racing podcast hi there dino <laughs> i know we we talked a couple of weeks ago and um he went and saw tenet and uh thought it was pretty good so be i'm gonna be eager to check it out as soon as humanly possible without actually going and um acquiring it via slightly illegitimate illegitimate means i don't do that sort of stuff <laughs> it's just bad quality cameras it yeah you know you don't want to um what was I talking about again? Cinemas. James Bond, yeah. So, tying with James Bond, I'm sure there's going to be future tie-ups there with Aston Martin and everything. And I'll just be keen to see what colour they use on their car because I really like the lime green that they've got on the, the GTE cars in GTE Pro for the World Endurance Championship, which I will mention a bit later as a, as a little closing statement for this episode, but um, saying it, going to say it right now, I did not watch the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year, purely because there's no Eurosport anymore, which usually broadcasts that here in Australia, so, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't find another way to stream it and everything, so I, I kept up to date with live timing, um, and just reading the hour by hour, hour by hour reports when I could, but I didn't watch it sadly this year. First time in 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 a while I haven't done that. And considering only two years ago, um, twenty eighteen, I watched the entire twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. Even though you know we knew that it was going to be Toyota and Fernando Alonso's crew that was going to win, um, I was like, yeah, still it's it's the experience of the Le Mans twenty four hour. Who who wouldn't like it? 
Anyway, now we're getting sidetracked. Even though we're still talking about racing, let's let's bring it back to the Russian Grand Prix and um, talking about Ferrari uh, and adjusting expectations. And it just goes into what I was, what I have been talking about over the last couple of episodes, where I think we've just all got to like I have because you know I'm not a Ferrari fan uh, and I'm still getting over the the pain and the grief suffered during those uh long years of mclaren torment um with with honda and that's adjusting expectations because as much as you think that's going to be fixed for the next race or even the next year too in ferrari's instance it's it's not going to happen so you're just going to have to adjust your expectations to say look you know a points finish is going to be a good result this weekend i know it's not what we pay money for when we go to the track to see the team it's not what we pay the good money for to buy all the merchandise and and dress ourselves in the team colors but this happens there's peaks and troughs and you know ferrari is not exempt to that and the fact that they've been treated or I guess, you know, they themselves they treat themselves like the alpha dog all the time, uh, the prancing horse. It's that sort of proud and arrogant culture which has led to this downfall, in a way, that I see. And, you know, mentioned it before, and, you know, you can go and read the article I wrote about um, them on the Raw recently as well, uh, that we're just going to have to have the faith that the current leadership group um, coming down from the CEO and the chairman, uh, John Elkin and Louis Camilleri, the faith that they've gotten Mattia Bonotto, the team principal, and then the faith that he's going to bestow upon the people working for him, and then the drivers too, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz from next year, that they're going to turn this around. Not for next year, of course, but for 2022 when we get the new technical regulations and everything. So that's where I guess we've got to adjust our expectations and not expect them to be back up there as early as next year even you know it was hard for mclaren back at the time like let's speak from experience in you know 2015 horrible horrible year and you kind of went race by race thinking what if they find the silver bullet what if they find the silver bullet but it doesn't happen you know and then you get eventually by the end of the year you get used to the odd points finish you know or even just finishing the race with, with the unreliability that Honda had back in the day. And then 2016 was a very hopeful year. There was progress. They almost became a team in the midfield that were able to, to score really well. But then 2017, it all went uh, downhill and they basically found themselves in a much more deeper hole than um, they were back in 2015. So, yeah, these things can take years to figure out. And I guess last year was the first year that we saw McLaren really emerge from from the damage done in that time um, and, you know, finding new leadership and setting that up, putting people in place. Like, basically everyone, you know, in that sort of situation that, you know, McLaren were in and, and Ferrari find themselves in now need someone like a Zach Brown or Andreas Seidel to, to get them out there. You know, I think I think the best thing that ever happened to McLaren was that those two came on board. You know, Zach Brown, who's total opposite to, to Ron Dennis, and then when you look at past team principles that McLaren have had too, um, Andreas Seidel, just a total different character and total, total different beast 
to to manage the situation and he's done so well and such a popular person at that too so that's all I can say about Ferrari is that yeah you know if they get a points finish this weekend um, a circuit where where they did self-destruct a little bit last year given they qualified so well I mean Charles Leclerc still got third at the end of the day but it was it was a bit of a rotten day Sebastian Vettel had his uh, engine failure and ended up saying he prefers a V12 um, or bring back the V12s he said which you know I still hear about all the time from some people but uh, you know live with it <laughs> it's not going to happen you know unless we're in some kind of fantasy land or they develop some kind of synthetic fuel that will work for V12 engines and zero emissions come out of there then that's the only way we can do it um, but yeah you know if Ferrari score points this weekend then yeah good on him uh Danny Kvyat home race for him too so a chance for Alpha Tauri to score more points as well this year and so far they've only gone uh there was only one race that they didn't score points at all and that was the Hungarian Grand Prix so you know when you look at Pierre Gasly having the win in uh, Monza and then all the other points finishes they've had they've been doing quite well so um I tip them to get in the points again with the one car and possibly two if they if they can steal it so you know and Gasly I guess the highs of Monza then the lows of Michello I think we'll want a, a bit of a good result this weekend to to bring back that um that uh, good feeling that he had after the win and for Kvyat as well home race you you want to get a good result on home soil so yeah finally as well while we're still on F1 while I still got a bit of breath <laughs> uh, I love enjoying a cup of tea um, this time of evening as well and I think I'm going to be changing podcasting or my podcast schedule as of next week too, so I might be going back to, or I definitely will be going back to recording on a Thursday during the day and um, releasing it um, sometime in the afternoon, um, whatever Australian Eastern time it is, afternoon, whatever, however it translates over to you guys, just um, situation with work and uh all you know related to the pandemic and stuff like that where we're being forced to drop a day um in accordance with the government pay that we're getting as well um as employees so yeah you know one less day of work is i mean some people will say yay i don't have to work an extra day but you know i love what i do so it's kind of hard giving that day up um but you know knowing that everyone else is in the same boat too it's it's a bit comforting but yeah so i'll be going back to instead of doing it on a wednesday night i'll probably be going back to doing it um thursday because i'll have the time now on a thursday during the day to get it all ready and uh, get it out there so no more yawns and all that sort of stuff that i do at this time of night um while recording so yeah while we're on the f1 uh topic still bit of a interesting news story kind of started emanating this morning or report um coming out of race fans uh, dot net and um, from Dieter Rankin, you know, a pretty reputable, um, reputable, credible uh, source and uh, source of information and all that. And that's uh, in regards to F1 CEO Chase Carey and that there could be a bit of a succession happening as early as next year. Um, and it's no, it's not Toto Wolf who's tip to take over it's Stefano Domenicali so if you guys remember um, if you've been around long enough to remember 
who good old Stefano is. Well, he was Ferrari team principal from 2007 to 2014, taking over from Jean Todd and that successful era that Ferrari had with Michael Schumacher. And then he actually won the title in 07 and 08, um, 07, the driver's title with Kimi Raikkonen, and then Constructors' Championship in 08 and missing out with Felipe Massa at the final race. But then, yeah, you know, Things kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, Fernando Alonso, yeah, yada yada, in, in, in Seinfeld fashion. And then 2014, we had, um, early on, Domenicali was out, Ferrari, Luca de Montezemolo out too. So, why, I guess, you know, some of you will be asking why Chase Carey, is he being sacked, is he being moved on, kind of thing. And I think, no, the answer is no to that. There's always been... A feeling or you know suggestions and stuff like that that Kerry is not going to be a long-term CEO for F1 you know they came in Liberty Media took over from CVC Capital Partners and, and Bernie Eccleston the previous commercial rights holders they came in 2017 they identified key areas they identified low-hanging fruit which is actually a quote that um, the old marketing chief, Sean Bratches, used. I remember the first press conference that we had with those guys at the Australian Grand Prix in 2017, and um, they set about making changes. And most of the changes that they made, you got to say, are definitely positive because we've gone from that cash-grabbing, money-hungry... Um, era of those guys uh, the previous owners to this more fan-friendly progressive natured shifting towards a more environmentally friendly um, carbon neutral future more diverse even more inclusive future and just more introducing it to new media basically and um, for some people who are not you know media and um, communication students new media is basically things like you know basically your social media so having F1 on different platforms now you know basically before Bernie Eccleston was uh, afraid of things like YouTube and Facebook and, and Twitter Instagram and all that whereas now you can basically find F1 on any any platform um, which is which is great so I think, you know, that those changes were important and also the Concord Agreement as well. The fact that, you know, 2021 was going to mark the year of the new Concord, a new five-year deal with all the teams locked into the commercial partner. The fact that, you know, Chase Carey's ticked that off as well as all the other changes, as I said, he's made. Um, getting the technical regulations sorted as well which now because of COVID has been delayed to 2022 setting up that little department there with Ross Braun the poachers turned gamekeepers um, or however that saying goes you know what I'm talking about that F1 is on the right track for a bright future you know provided they don't go bankrupt and um, you know there's another financial crisis and stuff like that they're on the right track um, for a bright future, I feel like, you know, Kerry's job is done, like, even though we'd love to see him stick around, and I'm sure from, according to this report, he might even stick around in a different kind of role, and that's where you bring someone in, like, a Domenicali, because you've already got those, you know, marketing tools, you know, the technical tools in place as far as the sporting side, the things is concerned with Ross Braun, 
Um, and with all those seeds sown, it's only going to grow and grow on the path that they've set it. So that's when I guess you bring in someone like a Domenicali who comes from that racing background. And yes, say what you want about the fact that we've got all these ex-Ferrari people in, in high places. I mean, Jean Todd, of course, FIA president, who will be stepping down at the end of next year, won't be going up for re-election because I think he's reached the maximum um, terms that he can serve. Uh, Ross Braun there, you've got um, Tom Barzes, Nicholas Tom Barzes as well, who works under Braun. He's an ex-Ferrari man too. And now you've got Stefano Domenicali stepping up there as F1 CEO. So yeah, I can't wait to see what that looks like. I think I think it could be good um, given that we've we're pretty much into this new era for the sport and it's it's going to just look good you know i like what they've done so far and hopefully that sort of stuff can carry on and uh stefano yeah after he left ferrari i think he looked a lot happier you know we remember him as um quite a cheerful character and then you know in those later years when the pressure started to mount and you know fernando alonso wasn't really winning titles as as expected they weren't delivering the car for him. I think it just started to suck the life out of him. But after he left, you know, he went off, um, worked for uh, under the Volkswagen Audi Group. He was chairman of Lamborghini, had a successful stint there, and then he became single-seater commissioner to the FIA as well in recent years. Uh, I think life for him has been a lot peachier. So I think in a more progressive landscape now that F1 finds itself in, it's not in those draconian way times anymore um very conservative as it was now being a bit more progressive or a lot more progressive i should say i think we're going to see um domenicali as well flourish in this role but who knows this is just all speculation um it has gathered traction quite quickly which is why i decided to give it a bit of air um and who knows we might even get an announcement soon and i'm surprised one hasn't come while i've been recording so then i could say and we have breaking news um but i'm sure while i'm editing and publishing this episode it'll come out be like great great you know i'm I'm stuck in the past all right anyway i've already nearing 40 minutes just talking about f1 and it must be a new record in recent times but uh, well let's go over to supercars and um bend the super sprint on the weekend we had the first one and then this weekend we got the second one using the smaller circuit so let's just talk about um the bend super sprint uh the first one uh, it's it's exhausting you know doing multiple or having the same title you know i don't want to refer to the sponsors all the time uh repco and uh what do they got otr um otr that's a whole nother different story anyway let's not get carried away so overall good weekend for scotty mclaughlin he extended his championship lead to 215 points after Jamie Wincup in particular had a really, really bad weekend. Um, basically now, McLaughlin, he's only needing 86 points, so he needs to have a, more than 300 points in the bag coming out of this next weekend to have the championship secured heading to the final round at Bathurst. So and uh, that's been his goal all along, so he needs 86 points ahead of the um, driver of car number 88, which is Jamie Wincup, to secure that title and not have to worry about it when we go to Bathurst. But let's have a look at how the weekend panned out. So one of the main highlights, Fabian Coulthard, 
breaking his drought of wins, which went back, I think, 41 races, and all the way back to the Perth Super Night that we had um, early last year, too. So, long drought for Fabs to break. It was there or thereabouts in Darwin. We, we gave him a bit of flack for it and um, making that mistake, but he had a good weekend. He was the round winner, too, scored the most points across the week- weekend. Uh, he won the first race, which is race 25. He qualified fifth. Interesting four-way battle for the win. Um, we had uh, incident between McLaughlin and Wincup on the first lap, and they both tangled and basically were out of contention for the win. Shane Van Gisbergen took over the lead, but ended up suffering a lot of thermal degradation, which did bother a lot of drivers over the weekend, and therefore we had Coulthard in the hunt for the win with um, Jack LeBrock, uh, Lee Holdsworth, and Scott McLaughlin, who actually fought back despite being down in like 17th or something after getting tagged by Win Cup at turn 17. So that didn't stop the drama because those guys, you know, we had Coulthard and LeBrock jostling for positions. McLaughlin as well could have finished on the podium if he hadn't ended up tagging uh, Lee Holdsworth so close to the end of the race at their turn, for, uh, turn 14. Bit of a desperado move, I've got to say, for, for Scotty. Didn't need to happen, and if he had made the pass cleanly, which he clearly would have eventually, he could have had more points in the bag over Win Cup. So, like Win Cup, um, he copped a five-second time penalty. Uh, Win Cup ended up having to serve that in the pits earlier in the race, and I guess Scotty did end up finishing ahead of Win Cup ultimately still, so they were the first lot of points that he was able to score. And then on the podium for that race, Jack LeBrock missing out narrowly on the win. And then Bryce Fullwood there for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, the rookie scoring his maiden podium as well. So he would have been surprised and shocked to end up on the podium uh, in the circumstances that he did. But um, he was pretty happy to be taking home a trophy because I'm pretty sure he said um, post-race that he was not expecting trophies at all this year. So good good for those guys, good for um, Bryce as well young driver to, to, to get that but um, quickly while we're talking about Walkinshaw and Dreddy United they had a good weekend and not a good weekend I guess you know um, qualifying wise Chaz Mostert top three all weekend he was actually on pole for race 25 which Fabs won uh, but he copped it so badly with that um, thermal degradation that I was talking about and that's nothing to do with the fact that we're on soft tyres it's just the load on the tyre during some of those corners, especially a certain, I think it's like turn nine onwards, it is uh, intense, almost like Turkey, uh, turn eight, Istanbul Park. So Chazzy was probably the driver who copped it the worst over the weekend, you know, qualified top three and then doesn't finish inside the top ten in either three of the races, so... Not good there. Uh, more pain for the 88 uh, Win Cup's car in race 26. Qualified down in 11th, um, which, you know, usually when you're racing in the midfield, it's so difficult in supercars. And then has an air spike issue in the pits, so the car wouldn't actually get up off the jacks. They had to um, have a look at the air spike and make sure there was actually uh, air pressure going through. But then um, that cost him, and he ended up finishing 17th for the race so as much as it was good for Shane Van Gisbergen to win race 26 and then um, Scotty settling third for third obviously with 
points and championship in his mind. You know, the fact that um, Wind Cup had two finishes outside the top 15 already meant that, you know, it was going to be maximum um, attack for Scotty. And Scotty is well a bit conservative in that race because he knows that Wind Cup's out of the picture and he doesn't have to fight um, the cars ahead. And it was good to see Andre Heimgartner there for Kelly Racing on the podium and uh, scoring P2 in that one. So overall, some good quality racing. Um, Wind Cup had a bit of consolation in the final race there uh, with... P3 went long in the first stint and then was able to pass likes Nick Perkat, Mostert and Anton Di Pasquale on on fresher rubber. Um, got a bit too close for comfort with Anton um, towards the end of the race, but um, still finished P3. But yeah, only 86 points. I mean, if Win Cup has a DNF this weekend um, at any point and McLaughlin, you know, finishes first as he as he traditionally does or whatever then that's it you know all over so there's going to have to be a bit of a fight back from the 88 and just make sure that they they just finish because then when they get to Bathurst that's not what Scott wants you know he wants to get to Bathurst and breathe a bit easy but if um Triple Eight and Win Cup can force uh Penske and McLaughlin to take this to Bathurst I think all gloves will be off and it's going to be a battle for young and old so yeah we'll see how that pans out and the bend as well this west layout it's it's short it cuts out all those long loaded corners and it's not going to be as um what do you call it as intense for for the cars and the tires but i feel like we're going to get a bit of carnage <laughs> um it's going to be a bit more uh compact so We'll see how that plays out with um, with those guys. And, uh, yeah, possibility that McLaughlin could win the championship, his third one in a row this weekend. So let's not rule that out. <laughs> and while I got you, while we're on the subject anyway, I thought I'd do a bit of a Bathurst, um, not really a preview, but, you know, just update as well because we've had all the co-drivers locked in. Um, I actually created a little spreadsheet uh, which... I want to use as a bit of a spotter guide uh, for myself and some mates who are interested. Uh, it's it's weird not having an Enduro Cup this year, which we're all so used to. And you guys who've listened to the podcast for, um, for however long I've been doing it will know that I'm a big fan of the Enduro Cup. I like the long-distance races. Love it when the co-drivers come on board and everything. But yeah, not even having the the pre enduro or the pre Bathurst 500k race wherever it was going to be, Bend or Sandown this year, probably not Sandown given that Victoria is pretty much still in lockdown. Um, it's just going to make it a lot more tougher for for the co-drivers. And looking at my little spreadsheet, I guess you know, bang on out about it like it's the best things in sliced bread. There is only six combinations that have either driven with each other in the past or have remained the same since last year so it's the rest of the field you know 24 25 cars you know there could be 25 depending on what's going on with grm and their wild card you know it's 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 confirmed you know they've got a driver there tyler everingham but you know there's been a bit of a snag with um nathan hearn and and his super license so you know hopefully I guess they've set a solid no at the moment, Motorsport Australia, um, on granting that super license, but I think they're going to try and um, get that overturned or something like that, so we'll wait and see how that 
one pans out but uh yeah you would have thought that going back to bathurst and especially for the 1000 we're going to have a return of uh, more mechanics able to service the car you can have fuel stops as normal and everything no like limited tire set rules or whatever but they do have a minimum or compulsory eight pit stops that they've got to serve throughout the 161 lap race which is no surprise and that's how they've done it um, the last couple of years and then also the schedule has been unveiled too so um seven one-hour practice sessions across the weekend three will be dedicated to the co-drivers too because that's been a bit of a bone of contention is how a co-driver is going to be able to prepare um some of them will be in action who've been able to travel to south australia into the bend uh this weekend during the rookie driver session but then the ones who haven't been you know particularly the ones been stuck in victoria they've got to go you know elsewhere in the country to to quarantine themselves before they can travel down to new south wales for for the great race so you know it's just the preparation and the disruption and the pandemic and everything has really wreaked havoc but again you know like i commended f1 last week the fact that we've got a season and we're almost at the final race as well is just hats off to the people who got this done so yeah and then we're going to have some support categories too there at bathurst historic cars we've got super two super three as well on a combined grid toyota 86 series and the tin tops which have been quite popular the last couple of races as well the last couple of race meetings i should say i haven't really watched them but i know that it's a combination of all sorts of types of cars that are divided up into classes and stuff and there's a few gt3 cars in there as well which basically win all the races so (laughs) that's no surprise there um but yeah bathurst i can't wait i can't wait and while we're now nearing the end of this episode, it's 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 sad. I'm you know no, I'm not going to cry. It's uh, I'll be back next week. Um, crazy times of MotoGP, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix in Mizano, week two of Mizano. Um, after the San Marino GP last or the week before, Maverick Vinales finally on the winners board for this year's sixth different winner of 2020. Um, it was all looking like Peko Bagnaia was going to win the race there for Pramac Ducati, but he crashed out. Engine issue for Jack Miller too, with both so both Pramac Ducatis were out. You had Brad Binder, Al- Valentino Rossi, Alicia Spargaro, Tito Rabat, Ikelek Huona. They were all out. They crashed too. It's been it's been a really really brutal season for MotoGP this year and you then forget that Mark Marquez the the chief protagonist is out of the championship too and this is why we're we've seen so much variety with the winners and everything so Morbidelli recovering um sorry Franco Morbidelli who won the San Marino Grand Prix ended up recovering to p9 uh he had a bit of a moment earlier in the race and um fabio quattararo who was on um what do you call it what's 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 it contention that's the word i'm looking for in contention for the podium ends up uh, relegating or got relegated by Paul Spargo to pay four um, and ended up having to serve a long lap penalty or had the time added to his uh, race time after the race for abusing track limits or something like that. So you had Juan Mir in the, on the Suzuki back on the podium or on the podium for the second week in a row and Vinales, you know, scoring those crucial 25 points because... 
You've got 27 points at the moment covering the top 10 in the championship. Andrade Vizioso still holds uh, that one-point lead over Yamaha duo Fabio Quadraro and Vinales there at the top of the table. And you look at where Dovi finished in the race, it's like you don't even think he's a championship contender, but perhaps he and his experience can finally get it done this year. And, you know, it's kind of bit laughable in a way but not laughable that he's got unemployed Dovi at the moment on the back of his leathers instead of undaunted Dovi which he uh, started wearing this year so that's it's a bit tongue-in-cheek but also you you're in a bit of disbelief that someone like Davizioso is without a ride for, for 2021 and if he wins the championship for Ducati this year that's going to be a bit of a, a suck X moment but anyway um, having a look though at the table for MotoGP so yeah you've got a point separating Dovi from uh, Quadraro and Vinales but Juan Mir on the Suzuki, only his second year in MotoGP. He's only four points behind uh, in fourth. And then you go back to Franco Morbidelli, Jack Miller. You've got Takanakagami there too on the Honda, who's been Honda's lead rider this year. And he's not even a factory rider for Honda. So he's being, he'll be getting all sorts of leverage for a better contract next year. Miguel Oliveira, race winner back at uh, Spielberg um, on the Tech 3 KDM. Valentino now dropping down to ninth, and then Paul Spargro on the um, on the KTM as well. So I think it is still very open. Anyone can win this, but you would think that it's within that top six really because I want to put Jack Miller in the frame too and possibly Franco Morbidelli that I think, you know, top five, top six, those riders are going to be the ones who are going to fight for the championship. And it's so hard to say who at the moment. Um, When you look at the races that we're going to, we've got Barcelona next week, we've got Le Mans um, as well. Then we've got four races in Spain, you know, two back-to-backs with um, Valencia and Aragon and then finishing off the season in Portugal. So... Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one for sure, but, you know, Fabio Quattararo, he's proved inconsistent, so has Vinales, even though he's been quick, he's had pole positions and everything, but he's he's won a race now to finally um, get that confidence back that, you know, he's just had a shocking time, you know, in Austria, but then also Dovi as well, you know, he's going to want to make a parting statement, he's, you know, only finished on the podium twice this year, and He's scored points in every in, in every race, and he's only finished outside the top ten once. But he's going to have to just pull it together and um, go out with a bang on that Ducati and get that championship. Um, if not him, then if you want, you know, next best Ducati rider, then yeah, Jack Miller. But you know, Miller's got a couple of DNFs to his name, which doesn't re- doesn't do him very well either. So yeah. It's if you don't if you haven't watched MotoGP and you're you're interested definitely get on it because yeah it's a bit you know what do you call it um, it's a bit not silly but you know it takes a little bit away that it's not Mark Marquez in the championship this year and you know if Marquez was there it would be different it'd be harder just give it to the guys this year you know let let's see who can win because then people aren't going to complain that Marquez wins all the time, you know. So, yeah, get onto it. It's great. Love it. And wrapping things up, we're at the end. Let's all breathe and relax. And just just 
like a passing mention for Lamar. I don't want to go in and try and analyze the race because I didn't watch it and it'd be hard to do that just watching highlights. But congratulations to the number eight crew on the for Toyota, for Toyota Gazoo Racing, winning their third in a row, achieving the three-peat. Um, and you got to feel for the number seven crew who've been so luckless over the years. Um, but yeah, you know, this time... You had Brendan Hartley there instead of Fernando Alonso with uh, Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima. They've all won their, uh, all those guys, the other guys, they won their third Le Mans and for, for Hartley, a second Le Mans uh, and um, with a different manufacturer as well, having one with Porsche a few years ago. You had United Autosports, which is um, Zach Brown's team. Uh, win LMP2 class, and I think Paul DeResta was one of the drivers in that team, so go PDR uh, for the Sky Sports family. <laughs> and then you had Aston Martin winning in both GTE Pro and GTM, so when you consider the bad stuff last year with the balanced performance and the new um, Aston Martin Vantage model that they were using, getting crawled by that um, system this year it's kind of worked in their favor and instead it was Porsche who um, had it rough and had a bit of a rough race uh, Ferrari was on the podium there too splitting the two Astons and yeah it was the 97 car and then you had the 95 car finishing third and the number 90 Aston Vantage in GTM winning that one and um, I think Matt Campbell's car ended up on the podium to the Dempsey Proton uh, machine. So, yeah, that's another year of Le Mans done. You know, unfortunate that I didn't really give it much um, coverage this year. As well, I've kind of found myself a bit overwhelmed with the amount of motorsport that we've had over the last uh, few months, given the, the big break earlier in the year. But, you know, it doesn't mean I still don't try and keep tabs on it and stuff like that. So, and hopefully we can get some coverage here next year too. I know that it'll be really popular here in Australia, popular enough to be broadcasted if we get the likes of Shane Van Gisbergen there because he was he was due to drive that Eurasia motorsport car in LMP2 this year, which uh, Roberto Mary, uh, Nick Foster were in. I forget who the third driver was. Sorry, um, mystery third driver. But yeah, he was due to drive that car. He was booked in. Uh, until you know travel restrictions happen and everything and then of course Craig Lowndes who's been um, on the lookout as well over the last couple of years for a more drive too so if those guys get over there I'm sure they'll have to show it or broadcast it on TV even if it's like a you know um, on one of the Channel 7 because yeah Channel 7 is going to take over supercars uh, and that's going to be announced soon too hopefully um, partnership between Seven and Foxtel of course not just Channel 7 taking over the rights themselves but even if it's something that they show on you know like one of Channel 7's affiliate channels um, Seven Mate or something like that that no one watches at um, midnight or whatever at two o'clock in the morning except for weirdos I guess don't worry I'm not one of them I, I very rarely watch commercial TV anyway these days which is bad I know but uh, well you know we, we we got control of what we watch these days so why not take advantage of that um yeah you know so hopefully next year I get to to watch Lamar again and perhaps um give some more thoughts and stuff because this hypercar stuff is interesting and all that convergence stuff but yeah at the moment I think I'm gonna have to leave it <laughs> otherwise we could do a whole another hour and I'm exhausted so yeah bit of bit of rest coming up I think um coming into the weekend 
get ready to cover some more racing and um, look forward to getting back on this next week. So remember, Thursday next week, I'll have the new episode and uh, we'll roll from there. So remember, we're on all, not all the social media platforms. I know we have a Facebook page, but I'm not bothering to get that control over that one back now and i'm not going to set up a new one so twitter is uh, where it's at at hit the apex media there's a gmail account too with the same name if you want to get in touch too but yeah you know i've kind of not been on twitter a lot these days it's nice to still um see what other people like you know all the other cool podcasters are up to and stuff like that um but yeah just giving a bit of a break social media in general so yeah anyway guys thanks for tuning in this week and um enjoy the racing this weekend stay safe stay healthy and uh, we'll catch up next week see ya